Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who is in his 22nd season as owner, founder, and CEO of the Long Island Ducks. He's also owned three other minor league teams, two affiliated with the New York Yankees, the other with the Kansas City Royals. He is the founder of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball, now in its 24th season of play. It is a pleasure to welcome the pride of Bayshore, Frank Bolton, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome. That's quite an intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if I'm the pride of Bayshore, but I grew out of the ground there and went to high school there, so... And still live in the Bayshore Brightwaters area. So your love of baseball could be traced right here to Long Island, as you, along with Dennis Lynch, co-captain, Coach Kazimierski's Bayshore Marauders high school baseball team. What were some of the things that you learned from Coach that still stay with you to this day? Well, Coach Kazimierski was uh, was a, was an old school baseball player, you know. So he would he would bunt runners over. He would he would. Uh, hit and run. He did a lot of the small things in the game that are that you don't see in the game as much as you used to see. So, uh, you know, that kind of stays with you. And as we go through uh, the challenges that, that baseball has today, uh, you know, it, it harkens back to those lessons learned uh, on, on the field with Coach Kamarowski. So after high school, you head to Villanova University, which sets you on a course for a profitable career on Wall Street. Was there ever any consideration to maybe going to a different school where you could pursue both, you know, a profession and still play baseball? Well, I, actually, I played I played football as well. Actually, there's a helmet over there that, that was given to me by Bayshore High School, uh, and uh, we had a great program back then. And you, back then, you wouldn't be as recruited for baseball as you would be for football. So, yeah, I was. I, I actually my first school that I went to was the United States Merchant Marine Academy, Kings Point. And uh, I injured myself. I injured myself uh, at a neck, in, neck injury in my senior year in high school, and then I further damaged it at Kings Point. And uh, then I was uh, actually 4F at the time, uh, 1969. So I couldn't couldn't stay in uh, the military or stay at Kings Point. So uh, I had been recruited by Villanova, and I had some good friends at Villanova, and I ended up going to Villanova, and I'm grateful for it because my kids both went to Villanova as well, and I'm very, very... You know, you can see again, you see the big V over there. Uh, I'm very, very close to the school, and uh, it's a great, great place. And I would have loved to play football and baseball for them, uh, and I probably could have, but not after I got hurt. So at what point during your career on Wall Street did the prospect of owning, you know, some sort of sports, sports franchise pop into your head? It's kind of interesting. My, my roommate at Villanova was from Hagerstown, Maryland, and, and they had a team for sale. Uh, in the Carolina League for $200,000. And he called me up and he said, 25% of it is for sale. I know you love the game. Um, you know, I, th- I think it would be great for you. And this was in the early 80s. And, and then I, and I said, well, you know, I'm on the 96th floor of the World Trade Center and I'm uh, trading bonds and I'm a hands-on guy. I like to be there. I like to operate it. And you're in Hagerstown. I'm on the 96th floor. Uh, I'll pass on it. 
But what happened was I started, now I started, I got, started to look into it. And with facility standards that were changing in minor league baseball, new facilities were being built. And in, so about five years later, I bought my same, I bought a team in the same league, but this time instead of 50,000, it was AF a million. So, so I'm not the smartest guy on the block, but, 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 but I, it, and I ended up, uh, I was convinced that it was like uh, I was going to play the highest price ever for a minor league baseball team in, in the Carolina League and that they'd lift the needle off the record and I'd be standing there uh, with the most expensive team, but that wasn't the case. So uh, one team became two teams, became three teams, and uh, you know, and then the Atlantic League. So, yeah, I was grateful that, uh, that uh, my college buddy Blackie Bowen uh, who, believe it or not, is now uh, we just got $70 million to build a new ballpark in Hagerstown, Maryland, and he's going to be a part of it Wow! all these years later, yeah. 50 uh, years later. Unbelievable. So you have owned and operated minor league franchises, Albany, Wilmington, Delaware, Prince William, Virginia. 1992, the New York Mets opposed your plan to move the Albany franchise to Long Island um, to a 6,000-seat stadium in Brentwood. Uh, the Mets objected that a Long Island team would infringe on territorial rights sales. The objection was upheld by a panel of major and minor league representatives. But that really was the impotence for the founding of the Atlantic League, uh, as well as the Ducks. So can you tell us a little bit about the backstory and why was it so vitally important to you to bring baseball to Long Island? Okay, there's a lot there. You just asked me for a lot. So I'll, I'll take a back step to... Um, moving the team from Albany to Long Island. We did appropriate the money here for uh, to build a ballpark it's for $6.5 million. Uh, and uh, and it was had, had uh, several different sites, including Suffolk Community College up on the expressway, and uh, we would have displaced a family of red foxes, so that was turned down. It is, you can't make this <laughs> stuff up. And then as far as, uh, I, went, I flew to Dallas uh, because the... The Eastern League had approved the move. Uh, we had money to build the ballpark. Uh, the National Association of Professional Baseball, which is governing body of minor league baseball, approved the transaction. So now it just had to be passed the uh, by the, by the major league executive committee. At the time, there was no commissioner. Uh, so so we went down to or I went down to Dallas, Texas, in an airport uh, meeting room down there, and I waited three and a half hours, and I had a Hagstrom map, uh, you remember those, and I had a the rules of, of the territorial rules as they were written, and, uh, and, and I laid it out, and I said, we don't really violate the territory, minor league territory to major league territory. Uh, and since baseball enjoys the antitrust exemption, you know, two and two is eight on that particular day. Uh, and it really became, a, this is literally a true story, Gene Autry's wife, because uh, Gene had passed, and she was on the board, and she, she asked, uh, what, are we, what are we voting on? And, and then, uh, then one of the other executives in the room said, well, a yes vote is for George Steinbrenner, and no vote is for, is for Fred Wilpon. And they went, no. And, and that was as simple as that. And that's, the, you know, that... That has the, uh, the great advantage of being the truth, you know. So now, now, in some aspects, uh, you know, I have I hold no, uh, you know, I don't harborage or any ill feelings towards the Wilpon and the Mets organization. Of course, my partner Buddy Harrelson 
for since 1992. Uh, was an integral part of the Mets and their their history. So, um, yes, it, it it forced me into looking at, at alternatives. And there was a book called Green Diamonds at the time, and it had a, had to do a baseball deal, and it focused on it had a chapter on me, and people started to read it, and they started to look at these territories as, ah, maybe that'll make some sense, and there were certain cities that wanted our product, but were, in quotes, locked out because of the territorial rights. So I started getting a, a lot of phone calls, and I started to look that, that there might be a critical mass to create a league. Now, at the same time, didn't want to just create a league to play baseball, and I wanted to create a league that, that would be relevant in the game of baseball. And at the time, uh, it was going through the baseball strike. There was a Homestead free agent camp down in Homestead, Florida, that Buddy and I attended. And we saw a lot of players that had been in the major league the year before that didn't have a job, and they were at this free agent camp. And they said, geez, you know, if, 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 you, this, if you could have this showcase, this venue to showcase players that weren't, re you know, really in a position or didn't want to take the uniform off yet, felt they still had value and could play back in the into the AAA major league levels, um, you know, if they had a venue uh, like that, uh, it would be helpful to them. So you started to create this cities that needed that needed and wanted the product, baseball players that wanted wanted a boutique league, and that's how the Atlantic League was born. So at, at the time, in that with the baseball strike in '92, as well as the one back in the '80s, it rekindled an interest in minor league baseball. And at this point, other leagues started to form. There was the Northern League independent leagues. How did you work with them, compete with them? What type of threat did the Northern League, for example, those type of leagues play in terms of getting quality of players or getting investors and franchise owners? Well, remember, I had already owned um, uh, and, and built some new facilities and been involved in minor league baseball at the time. So I really didn't want to go into any old tired old facilities that had been abandoned by minor leagues which was really the tract of the Northern League and some other leagues that independent leagues. Were. They also were taking a different, they were looking at a different level of baseball. If you, you, know, the, you know, look at a totem pole, right? If you have the ugly face on the bottom of the totem pole <laughs> and the happy face on the top okay. of the totem pole. I was looking more towards the top of the, top of the food chain, you know? So these are the guys that I wanted to, to uh, attract and give, give a vehicle to where they could... Uh, Rick Cerrone, you know, remember the Yankee, Rick Cerrone, the catch? He said... He, he instantly became a part of what I was doing back then uh, because he said that he got released crossing the George Washington Bridge on, the, on opening day. And he said he had nowhere to go. You know, so he went home and he stared at his phone and waited for it to ring. But he couldn't get his at-bats, you know. And that's what we provide a lot of players, the opportunity to get their innings pitched and their at-bats. I mean, this league already this year... We've had 34 transactions back to major league organizations, and we're in like, you know, what, we're in a third week of the season. Wow. So about the same time, you also bought a soccer team. Yeah, thank you for reminding <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did that okay. dovetail with the baseball? Uh, and and that, that's kind of interesting because um, my daughter, who's 32 now, was like eight years old at the time, and, and I owned the Long Island Rough Riders. And I took her to her game, you know, the Bumblebee soccer games where they all run in a pack. <laughs> and the coach said, oh, geez, the owner of the Rough Riders is here. And, and I'm yelling at Morgan. And he turns around and he goes, you know, you're sending her off sides, don't you? I said, <laughs> I have no idea. 
I have no idea. I don't know the rules. I'm a, I'm a football, basketball, baseball guy. And he, you know, he, he was a terrific guy, and he started laughing. What I wanted was I wanted more openings. You know, I wanted, uh, you know, we have 70 baseball openings, but how do I maximize a facility? How do I offer another product? And uh, over the years, I really have gained a great appreciation for the game of soccer and actually did learn the rules eventually and, uh, and, and enjoyed it, but um, it wasn't for me. You know, so I, I think I operated it for about seven years. And uh, then I, you know, lateraled. So it's also interesting that, and ironic at the same point that the Mets blocked you from coming here. Then you started your own league. But you look at, at some of the threads here with the Ducks. You mentioned Buddy Harrelson, but then you also have Kevin Baez. You have now Wally um, and um, Gary Carter as well. So yeah. four managers of the Ducks have been former Mets. Three of them have won championships for you. In looking for um, connections, is it important to have a, a Yankee and Met connection threaded throughout the organization? Well, I don't think it. I don't think it uh, hurts, um, but you would think that more people would have come out. I mean, we've always done very well. I can't. I can't complain. We've done very well here on Long Island with the Long Island Ducks, and we, you know, we've led the league in attendance so many years. But, but uh, the the star power. Uh, isn't as much as you'd think. The, our fans are casual fans. They come out to the ball game. They come out with their group, their church, their school, their little league team, uh, with their family, and they enjoy a nice day at, at, at you know at the ballpark. Uh, and that casual fan is really what drives our business. So, how big a role does the the creation of Cracker Jack as the mascot play in that? How did that come about? It's awesome, awesome. You know, and, and I, I, I will tell you that. You can see on the wall that that is Splash. That's the original Quacker Jack drawing. I know that we're on a podcast, so they can't see that, but uh, that's very important to me. And and so so is exactly what we're looking at here, uh, uh, which is fan interaction, children interaction. And and I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I went to this is probably I don't know a decade ago, ten years ago. I go over to my country club, and this guy going out to play golf, and he goes, "I was at the game last night. It was a great game," and I said. Well, thank you. Thank you for going. And, and I said, uh, did we win or lose? And he goes, well, the kids had camp today. And, you know, I had to, I had to leave in the seventh inning. I said, well, uh, who do we play? And they go, well, the guys in the purple uniforms. At the time, that was Newark. And, and, I, and I said, okay. He said, but we love Quacker Jack. <laughs> so, I mean, that answers your question. Yeah. I mean, Quacker Jack is a vehicle that takes us into the community, that takes us into parades, that takes us into school programs, how to be a team player in a classroom, how recycle, you know, reading, recycling, you know. So he's he's wonderful. You know, he's just, uh, Quacker Jack is awesome. You know, obviously it's a business, and every business has felt the impact of the COVID pandemic. Uh, what effect did losing an entire season have economically, and what are the, some of the hurdles you foresee in trying to get people to feel comfortable to go back to the park and, and come back out and, and rekindle that love of something that's been taken away from them? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question, and we lived through it. You know, we're like one uh, percent of the businesses in the United States were not allowed to open uh, in last year. Uh, last dollar that we have generated was October 2nd, 2019. We didn't lay anybody off. We kept everybody on. I mean, we were, we 
upside down. I'm not going to give you the number, but it's a seven-figure number. So that's a lot of money. You know, when people say, uh, you know, a million dollars or two million dollars, and it's it's really not a lot of money unless it's yours, right? <laughs> and that's, a, that's the truth, you know? So, you know, in the deal, in, when we talk about billionaires and, and trillions of dollars in the, in the deficit, um, yeah, but when it, when it, we're a community-based baseball team that, that, you know, is important to Long Island, but at the same time, it's expensive to run. It runs costs about five million dollars a year to run the Ducks. So, you know, when you when you have a, a year where you can't play a single game and you don't lay off anybody and people that you know people who have been your great sponsors for all these years say, Frank, I need our money back. You give them their money back. We get, we we made the outgoing call. I was really proud of our organization that said, listen, you can roll it over or we'll send you a check. You know, and well, you know. The good news is that we've been so successful over the years that we have great banking relationships. <laughs> so we were able to draw down from our from our banking relationships and, and keep the ship afloat. Now, now going forward, it, it's going to be a while. I mean, you know, we uh, in the state of New York, it's a little confusing. There are other states that have opened up. We haven't opened up really. You know, do you have vaccinated? Do you have non-vaccinated? Now, I think within the next week or so, when is this going to air? This uh, the twenty Father's Day. Father's Day. 20th. So by the Father's Day, I believe that we'll be at 100%. Yeah, that's what they're saying, and, once we get and, to 70%. Well, right? Suffolk County and, and Essel are already at 70%. <laughs> I was with Steve Ballone, our county executive, yesterday on a new vaccinate camper age kids uh, that I brought Quacker Jack along to, you know, and, and I'm glad I did because I was way in the corner and I positioned Quacker Jack right in the back of Steve Ballone, so it's not like an eight-foot duck <laughs> on NBC and, and News 12 and, you know, it's the media, so, hey, we're back, we're here, you know, come come visit. But you're right, there are people that are going to be, I mean, you know, 70% of the people are getting vaccinated, so that's terrific. And, but to have a vaccinated section and a non-vaccinated section, eh, you know, when people, when people get into the mode of they don't know, they're confused, what do they do? They tend not to do anything, you know? They tend not to go out. And uh, so, so we're going to battle that a little bit. We postponed the season a month because we thought we'd be in a better position. So we're playing 120 games instead of 140 games. So, yeah, uh, we're going to just continue to do what we do and uh, make sure that, that when people come to the ballpark, they have the best possible time they possibly can have. And if it ever stops raining, I'll be delighted. <laughs> you so, mentioned working with Steve alone. Yeah. What are the challenges of working with government, the, the, the good and, and the difficulties, you know, maintaining the ballpark issues that you have, right. not being able to get parking revenue because it's a courthouse space also? Yeah, well, I, d I always wanted free parking anyway. Uh, so that was not a... You know, it, it, you start. You know, when you when you see uh, when you see charging for parking, you'll see a, a queue of cars lined up. You know, and and that just it's it just it. I understand that some some businesses need to charge for for parking, and people are used to pay for parking. But that's one of the perks here. Uh, as far as working with Suffolk County, um, you know, I've worked with several county executives. Steve is 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 Bob Gaffney was terrific, and. You know, Steve is terrific as well. So uh, we have a great working relationship with them. Uh, they've been very supportive. You know, uh, Steve tried mightily to get us open last year with, with us, uh, but the governor wasn't having it. It's just that simple. Right. So, you know, what I also find interesting is, you know, especially you didn't lay off anybody. In some respects, that's using your hemorrhaging money. 
Then on top of it, you look at what happened in February of this year where Major League Baseball contracts the minor leagues. You know, mm-hmm. leagues that have been in existence since 1939 are completely eliminated. Others that were there, the same found in 1939, become, you know, college, um, senior, and, and junior leagues. Um, MLB Draft League. Right. When you see the contraction of minor leagues, what's the, the first thought that goes through your head? Like, is that advantageous to you or disadvantage? Well, um, they also took two teams from our league. Right. Uh, two teams went, uh, Sugarland went to AAA with the Houston Astros, and Somerset went with the New York Yankees as their AA affiliate. Uh, that said, so that, that, well, let's put that in the negative column, right? That doesn't help us. And then uh, some of the contracted teams uh, that that were able to join our league in West Virginia and Lexi, Kentucky, stretch our footprint out a little bit. But uh, they're, they're good ballparks run by good operators. Uh, they were damaged. Um, again, uh, what happened was, in contraction, there was this 100-year-old document called the Professional Baseball Agreement. That's the agreement that binds the major leagues with the minor leagues through the National Association of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball decided, you know what, we're going to bring this all in-house. Uh, I had a seat at that table, I have to tell you. I, I mean, I, I worked with, uh, with uh, Morgan Sword at Major League Baseball. He's a fine executive. Um, and uh, the Atlantic League has been developing and working alongside of Major League Baseball for a better part of the last five years. Uh, we always had a great relationship through Joe Klein, who was a former GM of the Detroit Tigers, the Cleveland Indians, and the Texas Rangers, who worked for the league for over 20 years until he passed away. So has that also created, with the contraction of teams, a better player pool? How's that affected the player? Well, it has affected the player pool. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, you know, when I first got in the business, and like I said in the late '80s, um, you know, teams had seven, six, or seven minor league teams. They now have four, so there's less guys. You know, there's still there's still a lot of players coming down the pike that would love to play major league baseball or, or professional baseball at any level. Uh, it's put more. We are now. Not we're not independent anymore. We're we're an MLB partner league, and the Atlantic League was the first MLB partner league, and some of the other independent leagues have also become partner leagues. So now we're all kind of under the same umbrella, and there's a lot more transactions happening. The American Association, uh, who does what we do um, in the Midwest. Uh, has had there are more transactions than they've ever had before. So with the Major League Baseball and minor league system are become more reliant on us to fill some of those voids, which makes procuring players. Also, you had a year where minor leagues didn't play. So there were guys that would typically play in the Atlantic League uh, where their wife looked at them and said, you know what, it's time to take that jersey off. You know, and now I'm going to go become a, you know, an insurance broker or I'm going to go do something else. Uh, I can't really, at this point in my career, um, 30-something years old, I'm playing AAA, I'm going back and forth between the major leagues. You know, maybe, maybe, I, have to, maybe I have to, you know, spend more time at home. So the player pool kind of shrunk. So, it, so this year is we're kind of going through a lot of things, you know, re-engaging the fans, re-engaging, getting used to this contraction and what, what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean to our player pool? What does it mean to the whole player, uh, you know, system? So... Yeah, we're just working our way through it. You know, it's interesting. On Media Day, you mentioned you know some of the meetings that you sat in on on some of these rule changes, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you really were um, emphatic about was how impressed you were by Theo Epstein and his Absolutely. baseball mind. 
And that's pretty high praise for someone that's been around the game as long as you have. What was it about Theo at these meetings that impressed you so much? Well, here he is. This guy has had uh, you know, tremendous success at the highest level of the game. And he, he to me, uh, was thoughtful around his comments. He was asking our opinion uh, on, on certain things. He was listening to the challenges of what we thought some of the new rules might bring. I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about ABS. It's a little harder to implement it, you know, and, and to get people convinced that, you know, this is a good idea. And because it's coming down the pike. And his, his thoughts around the imbalance in the game, uh, you know, he sees the train coming, you know, and it's been coming for a while. And so you see the imbalance between the pitchers and hitters. And what does that mean? How do you, how do you level the playing field, if you will, uh, and get it to where you put more balls in play? Because the game has become a game of strikeouts, walks, and home runs. That is a game that's not... It's not. It's it's not exciting anymore. You can, you know, you just there's just too many things that make the game, uh, and I hate to say this out loud, boring. You know, we all know people who love baseball understand that. You know, when you have four or five minutes between a ball being put in play, you know, I mean, you get into the seventh inning, you can look at your watch and you go, okay, it's I got to work tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I went to a Met game this year, and they won seven nothing. The great two great things about the game is. They scored seven runs, hit them two, without benefit of a home run. She had action. And the game took two hours and 35 minutes. Yeah, that's a that's that was, throwback. You know, yep. Yeah, you, that's, you, that's, you hit the lottery right. yeah, for that one. It was one. an afternoon game. Yeah. It was a thing of beauty. I went with my brother, and we just looked yeah. one another and said, this is what we made us love baseball. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I get it. So, so you know, 18-inch bases instead of 15-inch bases, what does that mean? It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's three inches closer to second base or three yeah. and a half inches closer. What does that do? What is that going to do? To steals because steals have become, you know, you just don't see people stealing. Some more Ricky anymore. Hendersons or Lou Brock's in the game. Yeah, right? you just you just don't see it now. You know, I mean, again, I, I, look at basketball. You know, if you if you go back to to the eighties and watch a basketball game, and at the end of the game they toss the ball that went to four corners like the Princeton offense, and and you know you just held the ball till you got fouled, right? I mean, now you have a shot clock. You know, so so in basketball, so much better off for that. I mean, so we're going to go through some rule changes. It's not. It's it's to improve the game. It's 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 not as much a knee jerk reaction. But it's, he's thoughtful. And back to Theo, I, I really was impressed that he took the time before he spoke to have the science behind what he was going to talk about. I don't know, how are we going to challenge this? And what are we going to look at? And how are we going to make the game better? How are we going to improve the game we love? So is there also like a, a fine tightrope? As you mentioned that the Duck fan is the casual baseball fan. Mm-hmm. So that casual baseball fan is acquainted with the rules. Now all of a sudden, you know, they're not going to notice the, the pitching rubber. They're probably not going to notice the 18 inches. Um, you know, the rule that you know, was tested out a couple of years ago, the three batter rule, that's something easy to accept. Now all of a sudden, the DH. Now this season you guys are going to be experimenting with the fact that the, the pitcher hook. the double hook. Right. Is that a double-edged sword where you, like a casual fan, is now going to be confused because it, some of the rules aren't at the major league level and they might not understand what's going on? Well, the double hook is, is sort of a hybrid between the American League and the National League, if you look yeah. at that. And I think the pe- person who's going to be most confused is a scorer. <laughs> because people like Wally Backman, being a National League manager for most of his life, 
really understand how to use that and, and how are you going to bring that strategy into the game. Uh, you know, I, I, I found it a little confusing when we were sitting there talking about it conceptually, uh, but now that I've seen it, I, I kind of like it. And I think that, uh, again, if, you know, again, you know, if you love the game of baseball it's, and you go to a game, it's like watching somebody paint a picture, you know, it's, or you listen to a good radio broadcast, right? The guys that know how to do that, you can see it without, by listening to your radio. And I think that the strategy involved with this is, is bringing more of it back into the game. It's going to make speed more important. It's going to make certain athletic skills more important than just a big guy can hit the ball over the wall. Just going back to before we were talking about the, how the minor leagues, how some teams were cut, have you noticed more of like a willingness for players to get back to the majors since some of their teams may have been disbanded? No, no. I, I, listen, anybody who puts a baseball uniform on professionally wants to get to the major leagues. You know, that they don't, they don't need any extra incentive. They're going to come out here and work hard, get their at-bats, get their innings pitched. Uh, and one of the things that we try to do in our organization is say, well, like, we want to be a winning organization. We know what, your, what your, your goal is, but while you're here, you're going to be a good teammate, and we're going to try to win as many games as we can. Because we're not developing baseball. The guys that we get have already been, they've been already developed, developed as players. So we want to help them get to where they want to get, but we also want to bring a championship to Long Island. We've been able to do that four times, so pretty proud of that. So to piggyback on that, and this is not the casual fan. These are the hardcore baseball junkies like myself. Yep. One of the favorite things you do every morning is you look through the transaction sheets. And as hardcore as you are, I don't think there's a baseball fan that really understands what purchasing the contract from like so tight Kelly you know was purchased at the very beginning he came here for the first day of camp and the next day he's off to the Seattle organization when a contract gets purchased from you who benefits does, does the team does the league and, and are there certain tiers because he was assigned to AAA if he goes to the majors do you get more money how does purchasing a contract work well it's, it's pretty simple I set this up with Joe Klein years ago again I mentioned that he was a general manager of big league clubs so you know, everybody in, in Major League Baseball had had Sunday dinner with Joe Klein. So he had the relationships. I had the business acumen. He had the baseball relationships. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that you put the strongest person in the strongest position. And Joe created a relationship with the Major League Baseball where we would, where they would just call Joe and they'd say, Joe, uh, I like that shortstop on Long Island. And he'd go, okay, you, you have him tomorrow. And we set a price uh, at the time, a single price. And that price would never be to to uh, to hold up the player, you know, because it, it's a transaction fee. So right now that transaction fee is $5,000. So you sign an Atlantic League contract, somebody wants in 34 times that's happened already this season, and we have to think about 200 players. Now we got to go replace them, right? So to your point, you know, where's this player pool? You know, are there guys waiting? Yeah, they are. There are guys that, that want jobs. Uh, so... So, yeah, that's how that happens. But um, uh, do you remember Kerr's pride? Yeah. yeah. They, he so was uh, had yeah. the, uh, right. center fielder for the Mets. So, so the Yankees, he was playing here, and I think he was playing for Nashua, and he came in, and uh, I got, we got a phone call, and I got a call from Joe, and he said, the Yankees want Curtis pride. I said, that's fine, so let me call his agent. So he called his agent, and he goes, uh, 
can you put Curtis on the phone? I said, what kind of agent are you? You know, I know Curtis, <laughs> Curtis can't hear you. Uh, he went on to hit a real big home run at the end of that season and, and helped the Yankees. Uh, but, but that's pretty much what happens. You know, we, if they're in the lineup, they're out of the lineup. So they're gone. And, you know, and that's if they want to go. You know, there are a lot of players that have been in major leagues that are, uh, like a, a major league club will call up and say, we want to send you to double A. And they say, eh, I don't want to go to double A. The competition's better here in the Atlantic League. And I want to, if, if I'm going anywhere, I want to go to triple A or the major leagues. So we've had a number of those players, you know, that, that have uh, opted to stay in the league. Uh, it's, it's their decision at that point. So I, I know. By the way, ninety-nine up hundred. Yeah. <laughs> so I know on media day, Wally said the goal for him was to get the guys back to AAA or majors. You know, the, he's going to try the ones that can get there. As an owner and, and, and of the team, guys like Wally or guys like Kevin Baez, is it also your goal to get them a look at to see? You know, Wally's won everywhere. He's he's played and coached and managed. Um, is that something you would like to see as well? Well, I look at it a little differently. We're, uh, we provide the vehicle for them to, again, get their at-bats and their innings pitched, and, and then if that happens, that's a byproduct of, of, doing, of working hard and, and putting up good numbers. For me, one of my objectives is to uh, entertain the people here on Long Island to make sure that, they, that our cold drinks are cold, our hot dogs are hot, and that, that when they come here with their family, they have the best possible time at a ballpark they could possibly have, and get their picture with Cracker Jack, get back in the car, maybe we shoot off some fireworks like we did, you know, in 2000, 20 times in 2019, and that everybody comes back to the ballpark and has a good time. That's my objective here. So, for the people that have never been to a Ducks game, or people that haven't been here for a while, what would you say to them tonight to, for them to get off their couch, go online, get tickets, and come out here? Well, I think the first thing is that everybody needs to feel safe, right? And we've, we've created an environment where we've done everything we were supposed to do to make sure, even during the pandemic, that if they came to the ballpark in an outside setting, uh, that they would be safe. So I want to ensure that everybody, that, that we are open for business, that we will play, uh, you know, we, have, we will play a little longer this year. We'll play into October. So... Uh, you know, we hope that, that you come out to the ballpark and have a great day and join us. Come over and say hi to me. I sit right behind the dugout. Thank you so much for your time. More importantly, thanks for so many great years of Ducks baseball here on Long Island. Uh, AJ and I brought our travel team here right. when they were like 9 or 10. They got to go out on the field. and Kids the same and, age as your daughter. Yeah, right. Just in closing, uh, you know, we didn't talk about Buddy. But, you yeah, know, I was going to ask how Buddy's doing. Yeah, Buddy's struggling. You know, he's he's uh, has ALS. He's had it for a number of years. But, uh, you know, over the years, Bud Harrelson was the guy that he wouldn't leave the field. Even if we had it somewhere to go, he wouldn't leave the field till everybody got an autograph. Well, you know, I, I remember, <laughs> leave the field, I remember he'd be coaching first base. And about the fifth inning, he'd work the sweets. I was thinking, right, come yeah, up right. <laughs> in uniform. Then by the seventh, he'd be back coaching, you know, first base again. Right, right, right. right. As yeah. an ambassador. You know, and and yeah. that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, kind of lucked into it with Buddy. Uh, you know, he he claims it's the best thing he ever did in baseball, you know, and, uh, you know, we miss him here at the ballpark, and we know that ALS is a cruel disease, and yeah. that everybody should say a prayer for him.